All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Mindful Hunter Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jay Nickel. And we have a somewhat Inception-like podcast guest today. So to my left is Adam Yonke. He is the founder of both the Journal of Mountain Hunting and the Beyond the Kill podcast. And an interesting fact that any of the OG listeners of the Mindful Hunter Podcast will know uh, well, you'll know that I originally started this podcast on a different channel. What you might not know is that the Mindful Hunter podcast would never have existed if it wasn't for Adam. And that's, I had actually sat on the idea for probably a couple of years. I thought about doing it long before it would have been appropriate for me to even do it. But it was one of those things that I always told myself, the space is crowded. We don't need another middle of the road hunting podcast. There's no point. And then Adam had asked me to do a podcast on their channel. Audiences didn't really mesh. That's not a big deal. In fact, that's my, might be an interesting topic for later. Cause I think that's actually a good thing mm-hmm. that there is a defined taste to audiences and, and we have some crossover, but not all crossover, but I just wanted to give a nod of the cap to, to Adam because it turned out to be one of the best things that's ever happened. I, I've had the Mindful Hunter for a long time. I've done a lot of film. I've done a lot of Instagram. But I can say nothing I have ever done has generated the level of engagement that a podcast has. And we were talking beforehand about different elements of you know the meta components of a podcast. And I think it's because people get to listen to you so much. I don't. I don't know. But but I have to thank Adam for that. So real, real quickly. So Adam's a pretty diehard hunter. Uh, I've been on his podcast. I've talked about my history a little bit. We were texting with each other kind of post both of our sheep hunts. And we're like, Oh, we need to have a catch up. I was like, well, if we're going to, if we're going to have a catch up, might as well create some content while we're doing it. So the initial point of this podcast was really just to, just to talk sheep and see how the two hunts were. And then the more I got thinking about it, I've been meaning to have Adam on for a while. I never, I have like kind of the light version of the background of the journal of mountain hunting and the light version of Adam's own background. But as, as much as we can stay on track here, we're going to try and do like a half history of journal beyond the kill Adam, and then half kind of sheep update. So Thank you for for joining us, Adam, and thank you for the inspiration to start my podcast. Oh man, my uh, my pleasure on both fronts. I don't I don't have many superpowers, maybe none, in fact. But one of my uh, I guess talents is I can spot talent. I, I've I actually, and I, and I say that like it's not really the way I want to come out of the gates and sound like a you know a bit of a Delta Bravo here. But you know, there's there's a lot of guys I've encountered in this space who. Um, I've, I've kind of given a nudge, I guess I would say, and, and a strong nudge um, because they, they needed it, quite frankly. And, and you, were, you were one of them. And, and I love seeing people who are passionate about things um, find you know, their voice or an, an addition to their voice or their platform. And let's say in your case with, with the, you know, the YouTube stuff you're doing beforehand. Um, and yeah, man, like, I, just, I, I, really, I really enjoy that part of, I mean, and, and goes to some of my other work in other, in other spaces as well. As right. I've seen, seen others do well and be empowered to, to do stuff is, is, is fun. And I really feel that way about people coming into the backcountry or mountain hunting space as well, which kind of comes back to part of the story as it relates to the, 
you know, why I started the journal mountain hunting and then eventually the, the beyond the kill podcast as well. So long-windedly, what the fuck else is new with me? I can say, I can drop bombs, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. This is the full E big E good, good, good podcast. Well, and I find it particularly interesting because you are not your, the typical, and I don't want to bandy around like content creator influencer, but for a guy who's created what you've created, you do very little self-promotion. Like you don't even have a personal Instagram, do you? I do. Yeah. I oh. think the la- I think I think the last post was like, I don't know, probably a year ago. Okay. Um, yeah. It's actually it's it's fun I, I uh to go back in there because there's actually um some some I, I you know the first hints of what kind of uh or the fire that was burning with within me to to go and do something like the drill mountain hunting. Yeah. You'll actually see that in my an Instagram back before there were stories, like just like a Yep. A, a picture with a really long bit of text. Like my, uh, one of my first, actually, I think it was my, it was my first fly-in trip to Northern BC. So that's on my personal Instagram, a bunch of other stuff as well, but um, it fizzled out. And I just, I've got a love-hate relationship with, with social, sure. um, which is part of the reason why I don't do a lot of self-promotion. Um, but that's a big part of, you know, the story of the, of the drill of mountain hunting as well is, is how I, I felt about um, it being a representation of, you know, me though, wanting to be a great white hunter, which I'm being tongue in cheek there. I, I wasn't trying to be one, never wanted to be, um, versus an outlet for those that, um, you know, at the time I wouldn't have known to call it adventure hunting, but, but that had that passion that I know you have as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's get right into it. You're an Ontario boy. Like I'm an Ontario boy. Mm-hmm. So knowing that let's, you know, and we don't have to dive super deep, but give me the the kind of 30 second background. What was your hunting experience coming from a hunting family, not coming from a hunting family mm-hmm. and what, what and when finally brought you out to, to BC? Because I'm, from what I know, there's a bit of a transition at that point yeah. as far as hunting styles and, and goals and, and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. So I did grow up in a hunting family. My, my, my dad was not a hunter. He'd done a bit of it, you know, growing up, it just never caught the bug. He is an ab, he's as, as, you know, obsessive, a fly fisherman, well, fisherman, but now in the last probably 15 years, fly fisherman, as I am a, a mountain or backcountry hunter. Um, so he wasn't one of my hunting mentors, my mom's side of the family, which they, she has four brothers. They all lived in like within five minutes of where I grew up. So I grew up in a, in a, in a rural area our west of Ottawa, uh, you know, close to, not really in the town, but close to a town called Douglas, Ontario. So if anyone wants to look it up, you can find it on a map. Um, farm, farm sort of area. I used to joke that, you know, you could switch out the Canadian flags for American flags and change everyone's, you know, accents to a Texan accent and you would not skip a beat okay. for where I grew up. Um, and I loved it. And, uh, and it was just, you know, there were only, I mean, I guess technically as this time wore on for things I cared about and not in any particular order, sports, chicks, hunting and fishing. That was, that was it. Love um, it. And, um, and, and at varying points in life, they, you know, certain things would rise to the top, other sure. things would, would, would descend to the bottom. Right. But um, it was just like, there's nothing that really and truly caught that I caught the bug for like, like hunting. Like I love to fish, but just for as long as I can remember, like the idea of walking in the woods with a gun and whatever that was. So I, I did a lot of upland, like grouse hunting. We, we had a lot of gun dogs, you know, in, in the extended family. 
So spent a, ton, a lot of time doing that. A little bit of waterfowl, not really a shit ton of white-tailed deer hunting as everyone does in Ontario that, that grows up in those sort of environments. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, wolves, we, we, we hunt wolves in the winter. I've got some, you know, pretty, pretty cool, I think formative stories for, you know, the, 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 the man I eventually be, became because of hunting wolves and the things my uncles made me do to try and get wolves. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, it just, it was, I, I was one of those guys, right? Like you, you've talked about it. There's the adult onset hunter and then there's the person who grows up with it. So, yeah. um, that's how I grew up. It was just, it was just part of life really. So what then, what and when brought you out to BC? So I moved to uh, BC, Vancouver specifically in 2006. And, okay. and that was two things, mountains. And at the time, not hunting. I'd actually taken a bit of a, a break from hunting. I moved to, uh, to Southern Ontario for university to do my degree. Um, it was a eight plus hour, you know, bit of travel to get home and hunt. I, there was probably hunting where I was at university, but I didn't know anybody who was doing it. And, the schedule um, also kind of sucks because like most of the fall, you're just getting back into the swing of things. Yeah. Reading week. Now there's nothing going on. Shut mm -hmm. down for Christmas is there's not like, and then you got summer off. So it really does, unless you're living directly in a hunting community where you can like hunt weekends or, or take off after work or maybe do some stand hunting before classes. Like the university life does not lend itself to, to hunting yeah. for most people. Yeah. I mean, if I'd gone to like, you know, University of Ottawa or Queens or something like that, that was, you know, an hour to two from home, absolutely would have, would have kept it up. But I didn't, I went to, I went to Western and, um, that was far enough away from home that I just, you know, didn't make the trip home very often, frankly, it was right. Christmas was kind of it. Um, and then of course in the summers, um, but, uh, you know, that's a long way of saying I took a break from hunting. Um, and when I moved to BC, it was for the mountains, but it was for the mountains for skiing and snowboarding and, right. and hiking and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then work, I was, I was coming to, to work specifically for a company that I'd, I'd interviewed with when I was back in Ontario, but you know, that was before remote was really a thing and the interview just didn't, it just didn't click, didn't land. And then I flew out, showed up for a second interview and, and got the job. So at the time I was you know, wanted to kind of really embrace the mountain. So, you know, I got into downhill mountain biking, got the trail running bug and went a little bit too far down that rabbit hole and got into really long distance stuff, which just happened to coincide with me. Um, just one day I'm like, fuck, I need to hunt again. Like it just kind of just came like surging back. Um, and, uh, which led to all sorts of research about BC, which, you know, I knew some stuff about growing up, like who doesn't see something from BC in a hunting magazine or a hunting TV show or something like that. But I hadn't really thought about it for you know, a long time. And so when this, you know, when the fever set in again, and I, uh, started to really think about hunting in BC and research, you know, all the opportunities, I realized the, the land of opportunity that I had found myself in. And, um, you know, the hockey stick curve just went from there really, as far as obsession and everything else. So were you, cause you're in Kelowna these days, but you were, mm -hmm. were you still in the mainland or lower mainland then, or when did the transition up there occur and how does that fit in with your kind of hunting story? So, yeah, no, it, it was, geez, I, I don't even think I was there a year when the, when the hunting bug and fever set back in. So it was the fall, it would have been my first fall. So I moved in January. Um, so I just missed 
well, technically I didn't miss a hunting season at the time. I didn't know I could go over the counter for goats somewhere, but, um, as far as I had to wait six months anyways, that's right. That's right. So it was the next fall. Uh, and I went on a backcountry air quotes for those who can't see, um, mule deer hunt, which was amazing. It was up in region five, the, the Chilcotin storied mule deer, you know, area. And, uh, you know, drove way back in on back roads, this, this classic ranching area that a lot of people know Empire Valley, um, which has produced absolutely monstrous bucks going back decades. Um, it's sort of a, a must do for anyone who likes mule deer in BC or, or was at the time that's, you know, back in 2007 now. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it just, it just set in, right. So for me, it started with mule deer because I was a whitetail hunter growing up, you know, the idea of these big, you know, candelabra mule deer racks had always, you know, fascinated me. Um, and then I really wanted to get into elk. So I started to look at, you know, the Kootenays and those sort of places. And then I'll, I'll remember this, or I remember this so well, I picked up a BC outdoors magazine, flipping through the pages. And I see this article about Northern BC and these guys go in by jet boat for a two week hunt. They come out with three, six point elk and three stone sheep. And I was like, what? the fuck yeah i want in and where and where the fuck <laughs> yeah and that was i it. haven't and, found it yet i keep going yeah that's right <laughs> that's right and so like you, you know and you know I, of course you think about bighorns i didn't even know what a stone sheep was when right. i moved when i moved to bc right it, it was i knew, absolutely knew what a bighorn was um so this idea that there's this you know other species of, of sheep in this epic backcountry like super remote area um that changed, that changed everything, right? Like I didn't even, I didn't, I mean, of course hunted, you know, sort of south of PG, you know, back into region five over into the Okanagan up in you know, the coast range. Like I got as, as much hunting in as I could hunting, you know, out from the lower mainland. Um, but from that point on, from reading that article on, it was, there was only one direction and that was North. Um, and that's, uh, that's when the real like sickness said it where like, I knew this was more than just like, oh yeah, I like to do this once a year. No, this was, there was, there was just something that like a magnetism to it that I couldn't, I couldn't really get over for good or bad can, can relate. And it was, it was funny. And I don't mean to skip ahead, but me and Spencer, my hunting partner this year, I had to, one guy had to go home early. We can get into that later, but uh, we were like on day 13 and we didn't even want to come home. What we said was it'd be great to like go have a hot shower and eat a steak. Yeah. And then we'd go right back out. And it was like, and it was, there was lots of reasons why most people wouldn't have wanted to, to do that. But I do think it's an inexplicable. Yeah. It falls in line with like addictions and obsessions and it's an irrational behavior because when you explain it objectively, it's not, it doesn't, people understand going to Hawaii. People understand, but, you know, going to Mexico when you, when you tell people what you do with your time off, unless they're into it, you just get a lot of kind of blank stares and quizzical looks. Well, and it's, you know, and by, by no means whatsoever, am I uh, comparing myself to the, you know, the people that explored or prospected or, or trapped or whatever, like it's sort of the, the turn of the 20th century. Cause if I learned anything on my most recent sheep hunt is I'm not nearly as fucking tough as I thought I was. Um, but the, you know, you know, I kind of challenge the, I mean, it's, of course it's irrational in a modern construct or context, but you know, there were people who, you know, this is how a lot of people from all parts of Europe settled 
in Canada, right? 100%, they man. Came here, they got on a train, and then they got on a horse, or they walked, and they found a patch of land, and they they settled there, right? And so I I, I do sometimes wonder if that's just in some people and, and not in others. And that's totally I mean, fuck that good. Right? I always need- like to say, man, some of us were hunters and some of us were gatherers. Like that's you're right. not necessarily, this is not necessarily meant for you. And if mm-hmm. it is meant for you, there's not a whole lot else that's going to do this for you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that, you know, in, in, I guess in, in a roundabout way, coming back to the, to the, you know, the, the journal of mountain hunting and the beyond the kill podcast, that was always one of the, I don't know. I wouldn't call it a theme or an underpinning, but there was just something there, right? That was there. There was nothing at the time when I started it, which was uh, seven years ago, just just this month. Um, there was nothing out there that sort of satisfied that itch when you weren't out there yeah. in the mountains, right? Like there was the building, the building Kuyu blog. There was a Sitka you know, newsletter that would come out with a story pretty randomly. Um, podcasts weren't really a thing at that, at the time. Um, yep. I mean, there's a few out there, but they weren't what they are today. Um, and so, you know, I was just, you know, because I had to learn, like I wasn't a, a born and raised mountain hunter. I was having to learn to be able to go and do these things I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to do it and I was going to figure it out. And between fitness and grit and sheer stubbornness, I was going to, I was going to figure it out. Um, but there just wasn't a really good single source of information, right? There was the forums, you know, hunting BC and rock slide and, you know, a few other, other, you know, uh, options out there, but there's no single source, um, catered to this like mountain or backcountry world. And, uh, I had gone through transition, you know, I moved out just rewinding a little bit, moved out to work for a company within less than a year, I decided that I could do it better than they could, you know, just young guy full of piss and vinegar. So decided to branch off on my own and started my own business in the, in the clinical space and, uh, and had sold that five and a half years later. Um, and was, uh, going through the whole transitional, you know, thing you do when you sell a company, when you're helping the buyer, you know, make sure things go well. And uh, I was looking for something new, looking for a new project. Um, and, uh, and I remember this, quite well. We're driving down to Portland. My, my in-laws are in Portland and, um, we just had our first kid, my, okay. my, my, my eldest son. Um, and we're driving down in the evening in like the fall. So hunting's of course on the brain. I'm looking for this new thing to do. And I, you know, I'd read the four hour work week and I was going like, Oh, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this to design a product and blah, 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 all this bullshit. Right. Um, so I've got, you know, four hour work week bounce around between my ears. I've got fall. So, you know, hunting season is, you know, full on for me. Just had a kid and knew I didn't want to be at the mercy of, you know, my income being related to my presence in a room. Cause as a clinician, that's the way it is. Right. I mean, sure. I'd, I'd, hi- I'd hired some people to work for me. So I'd had a little bit of separation from that, but by and large, it was, if I'm there, I make money. If I'm not there, I don't make money. Um, and so, you know, kid fall four hour work week. We're driving down to Portland. My wife's dozing off. The kid's asleep. And this idea of an online magazine just kind of, you know, pops into my head. And, uh, and you know, the rest, I kind of just figured out from there. Didn't know how to build a website. Didn't know shit about, you know, media or advertising at all. Um, and, um, but just decided that, you know, I'd at least get it started, like kind of get something up and live and see if it pulled any, any interest and then make a decision from there. And I remember the day we went live with it 
in like eight hours. We had a thousand people sign up like with their emails. That's um, crazy. Which, which isn't a huge number, right? In, in the internet. That is world. a huge number though. And maybe it, maybe it's part of the times, but like I do some pretty successful online things from time to time, like a little video will hit or some things and getting 1000 emails. Cause like that's what people don't realize today. Like getting somebody to passively ingest content is one thing. Having mm-hmm. them actively engage with that content is another thing. And then there's tiers of engagement, like hitting a like button would be like down here, getting an email address or a repost is like up here. Mm -hmm. So to have something that you put online and then get a thousand emails, that is a very big deal. That really speaks to the, well, to how it spoke to them. So what did that actually look like? Like what was (laughs) 1.0? What did you... Yeah. It's a, it's a great question. So, um, you know, when, when I decided I wanted to do this, I had a couple of buddies who, you know, I had said, you know, Hey, you, like, you want to be a part of this, whatever. And, and both like, yeah, sure. sounds cool. And, you know, they eventually decided that one, I, I, it's kind of the way you described yourself actually in your post sheep hunt, um, podcast, you know, you're too much of a, you don't suffer fools very well. Right. Yes. And my buddies aren't, fools, I don't suffer but- fools lightly. Yeah. Um, my, my buddy, the two buddies that were involved, you know, they're far from fools. Um, but you know, I just wanted to do it my way and at my pace and with my level of passion for it. And I was, you know, it was, it was, you know, my idea. Um, and so I was super committed to it and, and, you know, they, they read the tea leaves to see that I was going to run through every concrete wall that was put in front of me to make this happen. And they just didn't want to come along for that ride. Um, they had two good jobs and they were fine. Right. Not that I didn't have a good job. I was working for the company at the time, but I just, I'm, I'm more suited to being self-employed. We'll put it that way. So anyways, uh, 1.0, I didn't know how to make a website. So I find one of these, I think Weebly was the one I, I settled yeah. on, one of the drag and drop like email or uh, web page builders and came up with like, um, I can't remember it was three or four pages, but it was basically a promise of what's to come. Right. So I, you know, looked up, I mean, one of the first steps was I look up this idea of the journal of mountain hunting or journal of mountain It was available. I'm like, hell yeah, I'll take that. That's amazing. Um, the name is so good. Your podcast name is so good too. I'm a little bit pissed. They're both, they're both really that. good. Like they do. I, you know, and I actually owe credit to my mother-in-law for the mindful and mindful hunter, mm-hmm. which is a story we can get into later, but I'm very happy that I have a brand name that like communicate something with only a couple of words. And it's rare that people do that. Like I can name 50 other content creators whose name really has nothing to do with, with the content that they put out. And for you to have two specific products and for them both to have such good names is like, well done, man. It's not easy. I appreciate that. Yeah. And right back at you on mindful hunter. Um, so, uh, you know, step one, lock in the, the domain, and then, uh, as I said, you know, I looked at a few different web page builders. What settled on this Weebly because it was frankly the easiest. Um, and it was, you know, homepage with this effectively like a mission statement on it, some cool imagery that I was able to, you know, source, beg, borrow, and steal uh, to keep my um, my cost to an absolute minimum. Yep. And then um, I had very much like I, I really thought of it as an online magazine, right? So it would go come out once a month with set columns. Right. And okay. so there was, you know, the homepage, there was a description of the type of content that was going to be in there, you know, from stories to fitness, to gear, I mean, all of the things that we all talk about now, 
But again, there wasn't a single source option for that. Um, that at least wasn't attached to a brand at the time. And online, like you did have some models in the print space. Sure. Um, but not online and exactly. not, what's the word I'm looking for? Not as authentic or, or not as organic. Like all the stuff in the magazines we've all learned now is all bought and paid for and well, advertorial and, and a, kind of. And a Anyways. big, big, yeah, sorry to cut you off. A big no, no, part go. Part of that too was long form. Right, right, right. Like print is such that- Now, is that have... something you got from Ferris too? Because he loves the idea of the long form written content. No, I mean, the big thing I got from Paris, Ferris, and you know, I should take a little tangential story here because I remember the first time somebody mentioned four hour work week to me and I'm like, you fucking pussy. Like I'm a Scottish, German, Irish, Presbyterian. I'm not, you know, a religious guy, but you yeah. put those four things together and what do you get? You get there by hard work and, and that's about it. Right. Yeah. So this idea that somebody you know, could or even wanted to only work four hours per week to me was ridiculous. So that, you know, predates me reading the four hour work week by years. I don't remember the time frame. But the funny thing is, is, you know, you have a kid and you're like, I want to spend every moment with that kid. I can. Um, so the big thing I got from Ferris was one, all these barriers that you think exist out there in terms of why you can't start something. Yeah, really, really just don't exist. And that's, you know, evolved even further since he first came out with that book. I mean, obviously. Mm -hmm. And the second part was nothing matters unless you experiment, like validate, right. validate, validate, validate. Yeah. So don't, you know, don't spend a ton of money or a ton of time building something or going to a print magazine. Like, let's say that my, that was my idea. I want to do a print magazine. Um, well, that's a lot of cost and energy and effort. Um, so test it online in the most simple way you can and see if it has legs, right? And so 1.0 yep. was this promise for long form content um, and you know a variety of, of um, like primary subjects that would get covered. Um, and that's about it. Like that, that was kind of it on this 1.0, you know, whatever it is, two to four pages. And that still pulled in that. So it was just a shell. You didn't even have any content when you nope. first launched and nope. you still nope. got a thousand signatures, a thousand yeah. emails. Wow. Great. It was so all how did you launch? Like, how <laughs> I, did they find I, out? I, I worried you were, were going to actually ask me this. Um, so, you know, you got to break a few rules to, uh, to, to validate, right? And, and you know, and I, I was actually thinking about this last night when you asked, uh, you texted me and said, like, hey, do you mind talking about the foundation of the journal? I, I just had this feeling you're going to ask me this. So um, I seeded it on forums. And, sure. and, but that's, it goes against most forum rules, promoting. And so what I actually did was, yeah, hey, was, was pull the, hey, have you guys heard about this thing? And I got, I, I think I'm still blacklisted from Alberta Doors for this one. So if you've got some Alberta listeners, they might have a chuckle. I can't remember if the guy's name was Silvertip or Silver Line or something like that. Um, he outed me and like went into the back end, pulled my name as registrant of the Drill Mountain Hunting because I hadn't set up privacy stuff. Like it was pretty right. comical in hindsight. But the reason I did that was I didn't want to do the you know, hey guys, please check out my thing. Yeah. I wanted it to be as objective as possible. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I seated, seated it on some forums. I was able, I reached out at the time straight to Jason Harrison at Building Kuyu, or at Kuyu yeah. when he had the Building Kuyu blog, asked if he if I could put it up on there. He was like, hell yeah, man, this is awesome. Go for it. Um, 
I'm sure I'm forgetting some other people who gave me access to some of their company, you know, forums and et cetera. Um, yep. But that was, that was kind of it. Like there was no, like okay. no, no Facebook advertising, no Instagram, no, like I didn't know shit about any of that stuff. Okay. What okay. I knew were forums. And, and but that's the thing, man, in the heyday, the forums were so good exactly. for everything that I've been into, whether it was like, you know, jujitsu or bodybuilding at the heyday forums, yeah. you had such access and it was like people who gave a shit, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like really gave a shit that you would get still one of the biggest drivers of views for my videos. And I do it very sparingly. The only video is hunting BC. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, you can track the stats and I get a real, when I post a hunting video on hunting BC, like a significant portion of my views come from hunting BC. So that's, that's very interesting. And we're kind of, and I, I can, I can say, and I'm sure you realize too, like, as it's gotten easier to get access to people, it's mm-hmm. gotten harder to get their attention. Yep. So even though now I can touch base with you in 200 different places, the odds of you actually noticing that I'm getting in touch with you, I've actually gone through a bit of a revamp recently. So I just dropped this backcountry nutrition guide mm-hmm. and did it in exchange for email addresses. Cause I was having a conversation with a mentor and he was like, man, you're a victim of all the platforms you're on, you, you know, and especially with the way the algorithms work, just because you post something on Instagram doesn't mean people are going to see it. And just because you put up a new YouTube video doesn't even mean it's going to show up in your subscribers home list. And so that's, it's kind of, I'm almost going backwards. I did all of this and now I'm starting a newsletter email list because I want to have control. And and for people who want to follow me, I want them to be able to like, listen, I'll send you one email a month. And that way you don't have to worry if you're missing Mm -hmm. anything and all the cool stuff you might want. So I think it's funny how we're like almost coming full circle in that whole, in that whole discussion. Okay. So we launch in business world. We, you, you have now ascertain that you have product market fit. Mm-hmm. You have an idea, you built mm-hmm. an MVP. And I actually want to do an entire podcast on the concept of MVP because I'm just real quickly, minimum viable product is what you're supposed to build when you go to test a concept. And what most people interpret it is, as is the smallest possible version. And that's where most people get off the rails. It's actually the smallest possible version that still contains the essence or the ethos of what it is you're trying to communicate to your audience. Like if you had just had one page with black and white text, it probably would have failed because that's not a true MVP. You needed something with some like cool imagery and something that would inspire confidence and let people know what was coming down the pipe. And that's, that's something I'm really passionate about in my like real consulting world is that when we go to test things, we got to make sure we're actually and it, you know, even funnier, when we launched the Mindful Hunter podcast, you were like, yeah, however often you want to do it, maybe it's once every other week or, or, or whatever frequency. And I said to you, I think the MVP is once a week for a year because I yeah. think you need to offer people that type of consistency for that length of time to find out if you have product market fit. And it's I can say that, go especially, ahead. Especially at this point in time, right? Like timing yeah. is so critical that... I mean, it, it's a, such a cliched or like obvious thing to say, but it's still, that still doesn't detract from the immense like import of timing, right? Yep. If I were to launch and my, my, I now have a business partner with in, in, in the whole media entity, cause the podcast and the journal are all under one corp. Um, and I have a business partner in that. 
he and I talk about this all the time. If you were to try and start the drill amount hunting today, yeah, I don't think I don't think I could do it. Like I don't think I could with the skills I had. Like if I took the skills I had then and, and imported them to now, and I tried to do it now, I don't think it would. I don't think it would have any legs. Or I don't disagree, that, man. That, you would need did. a digital marketing specialist in order to have any hope whatsoever, and you'd probably need some significant ad spend. Yes, to get exactly. it off the ground. Yeah. So, and the reason I bring that up is when you talk about needing to do the mindful hunter once a week for a year is yes. Now, given the number of hunting podcasts or just podcasts in general that are out there, um, to really build that habit and, and solidify your share of your listeners attention. I, th- I think you're right. If we'd gone back in time to say like 2015, when I started beyond the kill, you could probably, and we started bi-weekly. Right. Right. And you probably could have backed that. A hundred percent. But people's it, expectations it just, were varies. so different as well. Mm-hmm. And people's media consumption habits were so different that mm-hmm. having access to something like even monthly, like all newsletters and even the good ones still are only monthly. Yeah. So I think that's okay. So we, we launched the MVP. We, we get product market fit, but now you actually need to fulfill the promise you've just made. Mm-hmm. So now what? It's just, figured that figured it the fuck out, man. Like was, yeah. you know, I, I knew some, you know, I, and what I will say, um, uh, throughout the history of, of the journal is, um, the, the generosity of people with their time, with their resources, like photos, um, you know, and time goes into writing, but time to even talk to me in the first place. Like yeah. I didn't run into a single person that was like, nah, I'm not really interested. Not right. one. Right. So I could reach out and I, and this was again, social wasn't what it is today. So I'm re, you know, I'm hitting info at emails on websites yep. and reaching out to like guides and outfitters and, and people like bigger personalities in, in the, in, in the space and all this stuff. Um, and there's certain stuff I was writing. Um, although I didn't put it, <laughs> I didn't sign my name to our mountain fitness content because I wanted it to seem like we had like a big staff of writers. Of course we, we, we didn't. Um, I, I wrote, you know, 90 plus percent of the, the fitness related content. Uh, that's a, was, and still is a, a huge passion of mine. Like I know it is for you. Yep. Um, especially as it relates to, you know, the mountains in the backcountry. Um, but you know, I just found people to write, you know, we would, we would run usually one or two. We tried to do two subscriber stories, uh, a month. And that was generally, generally pretty easy. People like to share their material. They like to kind of, um, put something out there for, you know, posterity, um, you know, with a lot of editing that would go into that. Um, I would source subject matter experts on whatever the topic is I wanted to cover. And then I would, I would write the balance or find creative ways to fill in the balance. You know, Boone and Crockett club gave me access to all of their archives to turn into digital, um, for like stories that were only in print before, like just great, great, you know, uh, what turned into relationships in, yeah. in the industry. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, from year to year, we might change the content based on what I saw as a need, uh, or sometimes even just a trend, uh, that we wanted to, to, to be a part of or follow and felt that we could, like, there was nothing, I don't think there's anything we've put out there content wise. And that's, you know, a very broad stroke statement but I would feel confident saying that 90% of the stuff that we've put out um, is stuff we felt we could or should cover for one, our audience. And also either because 
we knew somebody who could speak to it intelligently, um, or we could ourselves. And, you know, as, as time wore on and I brought more kind of guys into the fold, even if they were just, you know, subcontractors that did you know, a handful of articles a year or helped us on the, the film and video stuff, whatever it might be, um, you know, th there was always a, you know, you, we were talking about this offline, right? So, you know, integrity was always important. Right. Now, I want to be really clear on one thing here. Because <laughs> going back to 1.0, one of the only emails that came in, because there was like an info at journalmounthunting.com, was an angry email saying, who the hell's behind this? There's nothing about the team behind this and the person who has the credibility to put this out there and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I, I had quite a chuckle from that because I think it speaks to what is, I don't know if I would call it a problem, but it's too much a part of this, this, this industry, this hunting industry, is that it's all about personalities. Right. Um, and, and I know that's just part of it and that's fine, but I never wanted the journal of mountain hunting to be Adam's hunting journal. Right. I didn't know shit. Right. I got, I'd grown up doing a lot of hunting. I'm pretty competent by and large um, when it comes to those sort of skills, but I had a lot to learn when it came to the mountains and mountain species. And this was really scratching my own itch to create a single source of information for me. And then hopefully other people that felt the same way. Um, hence the, you know, the minimum viable product or 1.0. Um, and I've obviously learned a lot as time has gone on and have transitioned into certain areas where I, I might know more than the average person. I had a lot of background in fitness and health and science and biomechanics and that sort of stuff. So I could cover that with confidence and I will go toe to toe with anybody who wants to have that conversation with me in a, in a debate fashion. But everything else was about just putting as much content out there for those that felt the same way I did looking to learn or looking to, you know, read a cool story um, or historical account of some exploration, whatever it might be. Uh, it was never about like making a name for me. And, and if it wasn't for the podcast, um, you know, I, that, you know, I, I wanted to do it and, you know, my name and voice is now associated with that. Um, I probably would have done everything in my power to keep my name as far away from it as possible. It's very interesting. I find the journal kind of fascinating because it's in a lot of ways, it's like the polar opposite of what mindful hunter is opposite. Isn't the right word though, because, um, it, uh, it still accomplishes the same goal. It just does it in, in a completely different way. And just like I, I try very hard to constantly qualify my, uh, qualifications for lack of a better term. Like I am not a Remy Warren. I'm not a Jim Shockey. I'm not one of these guys. Now, that being said, there are a couple key areas. Like for me, it's being in the mountains with 15 years of engineering. There's a couple sure. areas where I too feel very confident going toe to toe. But I think the way I addressed what I thought would be a concern of my own integrity and authenticity is just to be upfront. This is me. This is my journey. And this is where I'm at. You went about it a different way. What I think is what makes it compelling having people at our level doing it is that I think we ask the right questions. I've listened to experts and there's like this whole, as you know, i behavioral science is kind of what I do for a living, but there's a whole expert bias and you go from um, unconscious incompetence mm -hmm. to conscious competence to unconscious competence. Mm -hmm. That's the true elevation of, of expertise to the point where you're so good at it. You don't actually think about it anymore. You just do it. Mm 
Yeah. And I don't think those are the best people unless they're being interviewed or led by somebody else to actually teach people because they don't, they, they're not in tune with it anymore. They've become so good at it that they don't understand the right questions to ask. And that's why I think there's a, there's space and there's room in this space for guys that aren't hardcore experts, because I think we're asking questions that guys just like us also want the answers to only we're saying, who do I got to go talk to? Because I don't know what the answer to this is, but I can go, you know, we're lucky to know some people or whatever. We'll, we'll go find those answers for you. Well, and it's like I was saying earlier, spot and talent, right? Well, that's yeah. talent to, to give a nudge to or talent to interview and source information from so I can learn. And in, you know, the, the context of the journal or the podcast, um, share that, right? Is, is that's, that's really what it boils down to. And if I could describe, you know, the journey in a nutshell, it is this, you know, insatiable curiosity about this mountain hunting space, right? To, to, at, at most levels, I can't say at all levels, there's part of it, there's parts of it that I'm just not as interested in. Sure. Um, but for, at most levels, it's this insatiable curiosity about how do we get better? How do we do better? How do we uh, think better? How do we act better? All these things. Um, and, and yeah, I think you do a great job. I mean, a job of that, it comes back to the mindful side of, you know, your brand is, um, that there, you know, there's a lot that goes into this stuff. It, it's, it's a pretty serious process and there's some pretty, pretty serious shit on the line when you, when you really go deep yeah, and go away for long periods and look, anything can happen anywhere. Sure. It's not, I'm not trying to overstate, you know, how serious this shit is, but, um, you know, there's a point where, you know, you're, you're crossing, you're crossing a threshold of, um, an order of magnitude of difference from, you know, backpacking for a weekend somewhere. And I got nothing against that, but there's, you know, I, I do think that, you know, coming back to what you're saying about people and, and experts, you know, those that grow up with this, like I grew up with hunting, I didn't grow up with this hunting. They they've done it for so long that they basically come to the point where they forget what it was like to learn and fail and get to where they are. Right. Yep. Like you said, you can pull those stories out of them, but it's not, it's, it's not, it's not easy. No. And um, you have to be intentional about exactly. it. And there's one insight I don't want to lose here. Cause I think it's important for the audience. And you noted with like a hint of surprise, how open and how helpful people were to the point that you don't think you got a single no. And I want to draw an analogy here between your experience and the new hunter and this kind of phenomenon. And that is, when you prove to individuals that you're committed and that you're willing to exert a tremendous amount of effort, it is astonishing what people will share with you. Yeah. And I think the younger generation of hunters, they're putting the cart before the horse. They ask the questions before they prove their commitment. Mm. I can't tell you, like I'm about to put up my sheep hunt at the end of the, at the, end of the week. I guarantee I'll get a half a dozen messages from like legit vets. It'll either be DMS or emails and they'll either be, you know, very compassionately correcting me on something that I, that I did or even offering me semi spots for next year or whatever the case is. But it's only because they'll have just watched me beat the shit out of myself with, with really like no, I not no idea what I was doing, but like kind of no idea what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if I can give advice to anybody in the space, it's like, 
go prove how important this is to you first, then go ask for help. And you did the same thing with journal. Like you built it, you showed the, the, the industry or our community what it was you were willing to put on the line. And then you asked people to participate. Yeah. And I think for most people, when they, they would have took one glance and been like, well, he did all of this before even asking me, of course, I'm, I want to be helpful because you get that, you get that buy-in. And I think the same is true when people are learning to hunt, to hunt. And I, I would urge people to keep that in mind. Um, do the work first, ask for the help second. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that for sure. And it's, um, you know, and I, and I, this reminds me of some of the stuff I, I kind of hinted at this earlier you know, my uncles made me do as part of my sort of rites of passage to, um, you know, being part of like the grownups when it came to hunting. Right. right. Cause I was, you know, I had a gun in my hand pretty young. Um, but that was, uh, staged and managed very, very stringently. Like I wasn't allowed, I've said this on my podcast a bunch, but I wasn't allowed to shoot a scoped rifle until I could prove extreme proficiency with a lever action open sight. Um, right. 3030, uh, which was my grandfather's, which had a steel fucking butt plate for a recoil plaid, re- re- recoil pad. And at like 13, we're, you know, su- shooting these moving targets that my uncles would set up on like this clothesline with like a motor. They were quite, they're all farmers, so they could, you know, fix and do anything. Um, we do, we do this running. Um, I'll finish the story now that I've started it. These running deer shoots, we would call them every, every fall before the deer season because, you know, whitetails in the east. They're often yep. being run behind dogs or pushed by hunters and whatever. Um, so we put two guys on the line, this clothesline set up on this, this track with a little motor, and we'd have deer-sized cardboard cutouts, and they'd zip across at 50 yards. Um, and so, and we'd have this competition amongst, you know, all my uncles, I had cousins that were around the same age as me, and then we'd usually bring in these sort of, you know, friends and et cetera from the community. So we get, I don't know, 30 probably people out for these. Um, and you had to put three shots into the moving deer target, you know, guy on the right gets target one guy on the left gets target two. Um, and we get down to finals and blah, blah, blah. So I had to prove my proficiency with that open sight lever gun before I was allowed to shoot a scoped rifle. And so, love it. um, you know, the point being, you know, whether it's in the East or the West, I feel like there's just that there are rites of passage, right? Like sure. there's, you gotta, gotta prove that you're not worthy, but you're into this yeah. before I think someone's going to really be generous with information or time, or maybe even some of their own stuff, like their own yeah. gear. hundred yeah. percent. Okay. Watching time. And I don't want to, I don't want to knock it into this. How, when does beyond the kill become a thing and what maybe more importantly, what led you to the conclusion that the beyond the kill podcast should be created? Hmm. So first episode came out in November, 2015. I had to check that last night. Um, and cause I couldn't remember, but yeah, November, 2015, um, was the first episode. Uh, I was, was, and still am utterly obsessed with podcasts again, myself. I, you know, since I first started listening to podcasts going back before that time. So we'll probably say late 2014. Um, I've, I guarantee I've listened to no more than an hour of radio in the past you know, number of years. Like it's right. podcast. If I'm running or hiking, it's a podcast. If I'm puttering around at home and I'm not, you know, with the kids, it's podcast. If I'm driving, it's podcast. Like I just, I love them. Um, so that, that's probably the, like the easiest answer is I just love yeah. the medium. I think, you know, going not to get all when you know, sort of philosophical, but 
you know, the spoken word is the oldest form of communication. Well, sorry, next to like hand prints, it, well, it is the oldest form of communication before we put like, you know, hand carvings or paintings on walls. So I think it's got immense power. I think it, in this community, it speaks to um, something we all love and that's time around the fire, right? Right. Like sharing, sharing campfire stories. Um, and, and also, you know, in a, from a business perspective, it was a medium I could add to the mix beyond what we were doing online via the, you know, the magazine and then the newsletter. Right. So, um, and it was an easy one for me to, to do because it was a microphone and, you know, figuring out how to edit and produce and all that sort of stuff. Whereas on the camera side of things like photography and film, man, podcasting is easier than YouTube. Like the, exactly. the, the barrier to entry to having a podcast is so unbelievably low. You could literally start one with your iPhone. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that was it. Um, and, uh, and again, had people I wanted to talk to people I wanted to interview. I should include, I, we ran a column, uh, every month called blazing trail. Um, yeah. and that was catered to in interviewing trailblazers in our world. So I had, Stephen Rinella, Jim Shockey, Kurt Roscoe from Stone Glacier, Dana from uh, Mystery Ranch, Remy Warren. Uh, I'm forgetting names like Brendan, or it's not Brendan Burns, excuse me, um, Jason Harris. Um, like, again, I reached out to all these people. No hesitation would get on the phone with me for two hours. See, that's something else you're not going to get these days, man. Exactly. You would find it, trust me, because a couple of those names on the list I've tried. For yeah. the podcast. And it's like, it's not even like they're saying no, you're just not getting through the noise these days. Exactly. Whereas so, five, six years ago, I could see that because you're literally going to get like a real email address yep. to someone's actual desktop computer. Yeah. And every now and then I had to work, I had to work, work an angle to get sure. there, but, but you could get there. Um, but anyways, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. But I would, you know, record those, transcribe them myself, turn them into an article, edit, you know, cause you well know that spoken word and written word are not as close as we think they are. No. Um, turn those into a, like an, an article form question, answer, almost like in a, in a, you know, a long form editorial in the Rolling Stone. And that would be an article. So that was a, like, so like the, you're doing a podcast and turning it into an article. Exactly. And then so one day you're like, okay, well, this, just, uh, this is stupid. Yeah. yeah like, there's a whole bunch of work here in the middle that does not need to happen. Each of those probably cost me, I would guess at least 10 hours. Sure. Right. To inc include the interview time, the transcription, the editing, blah, blah, blah. And then yep. I, when I found podcasts, I'm like, oh shit, I'm just yeah. going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, and that's, and I wanted to call it something different. Um, I didn't want it to just be like the Journal of Mountain Hunting podcast. Um, yeah. And, uh, I, you know, came up with the Beyond the Kill notion because it's something I believe in about hunting and conservation, in particular mountain hunting, that we do do it for so much more than just killing. Um, but I like the fact that you didn't shy away because this is like, I'm going to get on like a bit of a soapbox here in the next little with the words trophy hunting and killing and like even grip and grins. Cause I feel like there's this danger in our desire to not offend people outside of our community that we're losing the heart and soul of our community. Mm -hmm. Like I don't harvest a deer. It doesn't grow in the ground like corn. I kill a deer. Mm -hmm. You know, and like, yes, I have trophies in my house. Like there's antlers over there. There's a bear rug over there. And those are trophies to me because mm -hmm. I accomplished something incredibly hard and I want a memento to remember that. And that's okay. 
And I like gripping grins. Anyways, I'm, I'm not going to go, but that's the other thing that like, it's a small nuance because you left the kill word in there. So it still has a little bit of bite to it, but because it's beyond the kill, you're being very clear that like, it's not just the kill we're here to talk about. And I think that that kind of like, not quite a double entendre, but the way that there's dual meanings there, that's something else that really drove home that particular choice of words for me specifically. No, and I appreciate that. And, I, and look, I mean, another way to, to think about it is um, it is all about killing, right? Conservation is about putting, keeping animals on the landscape so we can go and kill them. Yep. Being fit or mentally tough enough, tough enough is about being able to go and kill something. But the, the whole point is, you know, to be successful killing on a regular basis, uh, self-guided, and I got nothing against guiding, being guided whatsoever, but going on a guided hunt and going out on your own are, are two different things. Of course. Um, so, you know, if, if the onus is on you to get it done, there's a lot you got to figure out to have consistent success. And so I didn't want the podcast to be, you know, when I say the journal of mountain hunting, it could be that it's all about, you know, killing things. And it is, but beyond the kill was the, allowed me the, um, the space to explore any aspect of the hunting community I wanted or the hunting world I wanted to, you know, obviously through the lens of, of mountain and backcountry stuff by and large. So, um, so yeah, and that's, you know, the, and now fast forward to, to today and maybe we can cap sort of things off on, on, you know, the journal front with this is the podcast is, is far more, um, the leader of what we do, right. The front of what we do. I mean, the, we, you know, have, I think it's 600 odd articles that were produced over, you know, the seven years. So, you know, again, because of the timing, I don't have to do shit to rank very high in organic search. Like I have had web people look at this and they're like, you literally can't do this anymore. You right. can't, there, you cannot put a price tag. No, the, like the, the depth of your backlinking and everything is insane. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, you know, we can be less, uh, you know, written form focused. Right because we have that backlog and trust me, it's just like working out, man, building the house is much more difficult than maintaining the house. Yeah. And once you have that structure, like the regular maintenance and kind of upkeep is much, much easier than actually building it. I mean, there's, there's more we could do there more. I probably should be doing there. Um, but, uh, for a, a bunch of reasons we don't need to get into, you know, how I've been allocating my time has been, um, different the past two and a half to three years. Right. Um, so I've, I've kind of had to pick my, pick my, not battles, but pick my areas of, of focus and emphasis yeah, and the course. podcast, the podcast has been it by and large. Okay. Listen, we could go on about this all, all day. And in fact, maybe we will do a round two. Once people digest this, I normally get some follow-up questions and stuff. And I, you know, personally would like to know some more, but I also don't want to let you go without getting a bit of an update on, on how things went. So we both came home empty handed this year. So like we can check the egos at the door. We both failed to kill uh, Mm -hmm. a sheep. Uh, I literally, I knew when you were going, but I I know nothing. Did you go with Wardo? Yep. So what, give me what, what, what happened? Oh man. Um, Well, let's start with this. So this is my first time going out for the opener. Okay. Um, See, and this I, is funny you say that because I remember us talking last year and you being a die-hard fall guy and telling me yeah. like, listen, I'm going to tell you, you should go for the opener. 
because that's when your best odds are. There's no other species open. So you're going to maintain focus on what you're there to do. But you specifically said, I can't stop myself from going in the fall. I yeah. love the colors. I love everything about Northern BC in the fall. So when we were chatting and you're like, yeah, I'm leaving next week. I was like, huh, interesting. Yeah. So yeah, kinda, that's, it, that's, it kind of no came together quick. So Wardo, we've been planning to hit an archery only zone. Um, yeah, in region six, which, you know, for those that know region There's six, won't, won't, yeah, won't, yeah, won't take you much to figure it out, but I'll leave the name out of that. Sure. Um, so he was planning to do that. And I had, and, and have some projects for the journal, um, happening this fall, uh, one with mystery ranch. Um, and then, uh, one that's, a, a, a group of sponsors. We're doing a really cool, um, project that I can't unfortunately share much about right now, but it'll be about sheep. Um, cool. so they, they were kind of like, we were trying to figure out like when the, where the, how all this sort of stuff. So I hadn't really committed to an opener sheep hunt. I had committed to the same fly-in we did last fall. Um, unfortunately okay. the timing for the MR, the mystery ranch project had to happen literally right before we you know, we were scheduled to fly into the, okay. to the same, same lake as last year. And just that much time away from home was not possible. My youngest son's starting school this year. I won't miss that for anything. So, you know, the old family scheduling thing, I had to drop that Northern BC hunt. And so I talked to Wardo and said, look, if you're not set on that bow zone, I'll absolutely go sheep hunting with you, but it's gotta be rifle. Um, and he's like, yeah, hell yeah. I don't really care about the, the, the bow area. I just want to go and see a bunch of sheep. So we whipped together um, a very loose plan. And I, I mean, okay. I, I know we're getting tight on time, so I, I maybe won't share all of that part of it, but we, um, he had his dates set. I was able to, to make those dates work for me. Um, and, and we drove North and we decided to do a hike in um, off, uh, off a highway yeah. <laughs> and, and, um, and, uh, and, and yeah, give, give it a go. And we, I had, um, that was the hardest hunt I've ever been on. Like, I mean, not even a, like, there's nothing in the same I love fucking, it. I love it. fucking league, dude. Like my worst day in Tajikistan when I was like eating shit from altitude, yeah. we, we topped out just shy of 17,000 feet when I killed my Ibex. That's crazy. Which is high. Yeah. I mean, and there's people out there who can do fine with it. I did not do fine with, with yeah. altitude. I was beat to the ground and I wasn't my worst day in, Tajikistan was probably my best day on this Northern BC hunt. Wow. Like it, it was just, um, it was tough. The heat absolutely smoked us. I, interestingly, yeah. listening to your podcast this morning when I was out for a run, I can't remember the other guy's name. I started it with a sinus infection. The day okay. I woke up, had a sore throat kick in. Um, I was like, ah, oh, this maybe won't turn into anything, you know, whatever, a bunch of different supplements trying to knock it back with, you know, an, uh, you know, uh, an immune response. By the day we hiked in, I was just fucked, like concrete in my sinuses. I was like just mouth breathing the entire way. It was north of 30 degrees Celsius. Um, uh, our packs were too heavy. I don't know how many times on that, the, on this trip, I thought about Clay when he talked to you saying, yeah. I don't care who you are, you get over 70 pounds and it beats you down. Yeah. And unless you trust like, me, I know all about it, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, I, I listening to what your weight was going into this hunt. That's a whole other subject, by the way. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it just, it just beat the shit out of us. So like, yeah. I, like, not to make it a big thing, but I usually get like one bad sinus infection a year and it like knocks me out. 
like yeah. I'm in bed, need antibiotics, despite the fact I, you know, tried, tried to avoid it. Um, and this was one of those, but we, there was no fucking quit. Right. Yeah. It was, I, I, I considered it the, the second morning I turned to Wardo and was like, dude, real talk. If this gets any worse, um, we're going to, we're going to have to do something here. Like whether it's pull out, get antibiotics and, and, you know, pick a new spot and just make the best of it. Or I go out and you keep hunting and I rest for a couple of days and try and find you blah. You know, anyways, we had that, that chat and we just kept going and, and, you know, I think actually keeping going helped me process the, right. the sickness quicker, but it was a struggle. So I was far from, you know, tip top shape. Uh, the heat was, was, was a crusher and then water. Yeah. Water such was, brutal this year, man. Brutal. Dude, we were dropping 2,200 feet every other day yeah. just to get water. Yeah. And, and so it just, it ground us down. Mm-hmm. So, um, we, uh, had chosen, um, a route in, um, to, to this spot. Uh, we yeah. hike up into the Alpine. Uh, and I think you said something similar to this yourself in, in your, you know, post hunt, um, you know, sort of debrief if there had been Rams where we went, we would have seen them. Yeah. Um, and so we decided to move and this is the beauty of where we were is we could hike back out to the truck, have a regroup night and yep. cross the other side of the highway and, and hike into a totally different area. Like yep. you drive for, for, I would love to know map out that distance, but you can basically pick a drainage and you can find stones. Yeah. Um, so we had no shortage of opportunities. It was just a matter of your burning time yep. to do it. And, um, and, you know, long story long, we eventually find some rams um, and uh, and made the tough decision that although we could get to them, we were um, not very confident in our ability to extract under under load and under weight safely. Yeah. It was, um, you know, no-fall terrain might be exaggerative. There were sections that were certainly no-fall yeah. terrain. Um and between how I was feeling and well, both of us, but more me, because I started, you know, in basically deficit. Wardo was, was, you know, he was strong as shit throughout, but you know, we both started to get pretty beat down and yeah, we just made the decision that, you know, no Rams worth uh, a really bad injury or worse. Um, and, and, well, and, and even and, more important, like I respect this decision and the decision process and we can, you know, I've had a couple of stories come through of, of that situation and then other questionable age situations and i like how ranella describes it as lust um and the Mm. fact that you were able to be objective beyond the lust and and this may sound funny but even more importantly than like an injury on the way to get a ram is an unrecoverable ram that to me is even more disrespectful like if you think you can get there and then you fall on the way i'm like well you were wrong but you made an educated decision and and i respect your decision but if you literally can't get there and you shoot the animal anyways and be like, oh, we'll figure it out later, that to me is like pretty big no-no. Yeah. So good on you, man, because that's not an easy call, especially after you get your shit pushed in for <laughs> seven, eight, nine, ten days straight. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you want, you're looking for a yes. Yeah. Well, and dude, and I'll fully admit, you know, for the week to 10 days after coming back. I wasn't sure whether I was good with the decision or if I felt like a complete and total fucking pussy that came up with excuses for not pushing past that. that That's why it's a bitch of a decision. Yeah. Because there's no like honorable, there's no like noble out. 
you're basically saying like, I'm in Kate, like, like, yeah, there's no easy out, man. You don't get a pass on that one. You got to own that one. And the only, you know, and it's funny. I had this little mini revelation on my hunt. I I don't mean to, to butt in, but like the longer I hunt and the deeper I go and the harder I go, the less failure I feel when I don't kill. And I come out feeling okay. I still, and this would be an interesting podcast for a later date, but I still go through about a week of depression when I get home. That's like legit. Like I'm finding it hard to like just do daily things after I get home, but I don't have that sense of like crushing defeat. Mm. The depression is from something completely elsewhere, but it's that doing this long enough and being enough situations and having that confidence in yourself that like, I don't need to prove anything to anyone. That's what allows you to make decisions. And you're a, you're, you're a good guy. You're always going to second guess yourself, but it's only that experience and that confidence that will allow you to make the decision that you made and know it's the right decision in the moment, or at least have a high degree of probability because no one's, it's never a fact. It's always going to be a matter of opinion, but at least feel confident that it's most likely the right decision in that time and place. Yeah. And, and, and as time has gone on now, cause we're almost three weeks since I got back, I think. Yeah. Um, I feel better and better about the decision yes. um, because it was, it, without getting to the details, where we spotted the rams from didn't really allow for a good approach. So we ended up hiking back out the drainage, you know, second time now back to the truck, restock our water again and tried to get at them from a different drainage, which afforded a smaller mountain between this big valley. Okay. Um, so we could get a closer look. And that was like, really, that's the summary of the trip is I sent you the, that pic. Yeah. Um, we saw two, possibly three, um, very likely legal and, and two of them certainly legal on curl. Um, but I wanted to get a closer look from the standpoint of age. Um, and that's the part that probably burns me as much as anything is I would have been perfectly fine if we'd made it to that, that spot we'd planned to get to, which would have have the distance from where, where we'd glassed them the day before, yep. get that closer look and have a more confident, uh, idea of age and said, Nope, they're not old enough for us. Right. Totally. I would have come home great. You know, disappointed, yeah. but great. Yeah. Um, the fact that we couldn't even get to that point and train assessment was a big part of that. And, and sorry, I, I kind of lost my train of thought there. When we left that glassing spot the day before and we hiked out, we followed a sheep trail out, which was the really the only decent way out. And there was at least a half dozen times where we looked down and we're like, if you slip, you're fucked. Like, yeah. this is not like, oh yeah, like I'm exaggerating make me sound like a badass. I'm not like, I've done some cool shit. And this was as puckered as I've been yeah. on a mountainside. Um, and then add, add the weight of a ram, if not potentially two rams. Um, and, uh, and it gets sketchy. And then, you know, coming back to the decision process, Wardo turns to me at one point, he's like, dude, we can't do two. If we're yeah. going to get there, we can't do two. So you're up. You've been after this for far longer than I have, you know, full obviously credit to Wardo for that. Um, but we made a lot of really good decisions. They still hurt, they still burn, but there was um there was no easy way to them, one, but certainly back, and not that any stone sheep is easy to get to. Um, 
but it was not just about putting the head down and a boot one boot in front of the other. This was and it doesn't help that they were. I'm not going to say they were questionable, but that was not like a sign. Oh, that this was yeah, like that's a like full like it, you needed to get closer to verify. Like it was definitely. Yeah. And at the distance you were, I don't even want to say it was borderline. You just simply did not have enough information to make that no. call. It was definitely promising enough that it was like, oh, we definitely, we want another look. Exactly. Yeah. But exactly. it was not by any stretch of the imagination, oh, we're done. That's a shooter. That's a hammer. We need to go now. And that affects I, you. Like you can't yeah. help, like that affects your mindset when you mm. know from the outset that like, we want to think that regardless of whether or not we know it's a shooter. We're going to be just as committed and, and all the rest. But the fact of the matter is that we're human beings and all of that stuff plays on your psychology and how motivated you are. And, yeah. and again, it's like, it's almost like a little bit of like, like a math teeter totter. And you have like all these little points and it's like the little justice scales are tipping one way and, <laughs> and then the other, you know what I mean? It's a good way and, to put it. Yeah. And I, yeah, there's no, there's no perfect there's no perfect answer. Uh, here's the thing. At least you, at least you chased a Ram. Like I didn't, we didn't even have yeah, that. Yeah. That was my only regret. Like my, literally, I won't say only, like it literally, it took us five days to walk into a place that should have taken one. That shouldn't happen, but whatever. Fuck, move on. Um, came home in good shape. <laughs> but all I wanted was to glass some like legit yeah. Rams. That yeah. was like, I didn't even care if I couldn't shoot them. Like, a band of seven-year-olds would have rocked my world. Yeah, We saw that one mini band that one night and I didn't even really get to see them. One of them for five seconds in a pair of 15s. So it's like, mm. I didn't see horn. I didn't like nothing. Mm. And that was, you know, yeah, that was, that's the only thing that left a bad taste in my mouth. It was like, ah, I just wanted to see, I just wanted to see some legit Rams with some like horn. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. 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 And Mordo, like he, <laughs> this was almost worth the trip alone is when I found that band. So yeah. there was, I think eight Rams in it, one banana. Um, and then two very likely legal again, needed to be aged to verify shooter status. Um, and then another four or five of, of up, up and comers. Yeah. Right. Like my first picture or my first spot was through the binos is a three K away. And because it was so hot, every ram we saw was literally on the peak of the highest point of every mountain. There was no coming, there was no coming from the top, right? There was yeah. zero coming from the top on these ramps, every ram we saw. Um, and so I'm glassing across and I just see these, like these humps over yeah. top of the, the, the mountaintop. Right. So I get, I'm like, Oh shit, I gotta have a closer look at the spar. get up. I'm like gut rams. And for the next like day, because we, we just watched them for this, for this whole time frame. Um, <laughs> Wardo, I, I should have like pulled out my phone and just set it beside me on record because listening to his commentary on like looking at them and like his excitement, yeah, it was so cool, man. Like, it was that I mean, for sure, the best band of rams I've seen on on you know on a sheep hunt. So I was excited. I'm not trying to say I wasn't, but Wardo, like that's all he wanted really when he yeah. was going to go to the bow zone. He did not expect to kill anything. He just wanted to look at sheep, pattern sheep, watch their behaviors, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And he got that from this this trip. And I'm really really happy that, that we had that outcome. Um, and, uh, and it was, and, you know, coming back to the hardest trip ever, the other part of it is I learned so much on this trip and it's been, I always learn, I'm, as I said earlier, like I, I think I'm a pretty naturally curious dude. Um, but 
I learned a lot on this trip and um, I'd gotten, I think complacent would be too, uh, you know, negative a word, but pretty comfortable with hunting in the fall. I didn't right. have to think about my kit or my food a whole lot. I just did what I did and was, was pretty comfortable. This really changed a lot of my thinking on, on gear, um, nutrition, uh, just general tactics as far as how I approach a climb, you know, ferrying loads, pre-scouting routes, dropping a pack, pre-scouting routes, like all this stuff that I just didn't really apply much in the past. Um, so it was amazing in that regard as well. Yeah, I felt like I had a very rich learning experience myself. <laughs> There's lots of takeaways and, you know, things to simmer on and and chew on <laughs> for a little while. Yeah. Listen, man, it kind of it kind of breaks my heart here because I feel like there's so much more that I, I want to get into, but we both have stuff yep. going on. So we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up here. To everybody listening, if you got any more questions for Adam, please let me know and uh, we'll do a round two of this at some point in the near future. Um, any way you can engage with this content, I would deeply appreciate it. Likes, comments, subscriptions. If you need to get a hold of me, jay at mindfulhunter.com, or you can DM me on Instagram, mindful underscore hunter. Uh, you've heard the names bandied around a lot during the podcast, but obviously the website is journalofmountainhunting.com and the podcast is Beyond the Kill. I can't recommend both of them um, enough. If you're into my stuff, odds are there's at least going to be some of the content that those guys put out. We didn't even bring up Nolan and he deserves an honorable mention because he's a, he's a big part of the beyond the kill. And I've been lucky enough to have kind of some interactions with him and I'm going to try and get him on at the end of his guiding season as well. But he's a big, uh, a big force behind the beyond the kill and a really good voice in, in BC hunting. So I'm really glad we could, we could do this, man. And again, I know you don't want it, but I, I sincerely thank you. Um, even though it took a bit of a weird turn, um, the kind of inspiration to get me to start the podcast, uh, it's been a, it's been a game changer for me. So I deeply appreciate you coming on and I deeply appreciate the, the impact that you have. Uh, my pleasure, man. And thanks for bringing up Nolan. Cause he's been carrying the load on the podcast and the journal for the last couple of years, for sure. And he's, uh, more than my right hand man on that stuff. And so, you know, for those who don't know who Nolan is at Nemo at NMO on, on the IG. And if you listen to any of our podcast episodes, you'll probably stumble, stumble across Nolan hosting quite a few of them as well. Awesome. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Cheers, dude.